but that's on Thursday night. So tonight we have our we have Parsha and some Jack. Okay, you got a deal. I will welcome Rabbi Evan Hoffman, which was on Sunday night with a special Sunday night Parsha share from New Shalom, New York, from Synagogue Answer Shalom. Rabbi Hoffman, uh, take away. Okay, thank you. All right, so uh, our topic today is redeeming captives without guidance from above. So the the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim is regarded in the rabbinic tradition as the, the, the greatest of all mitzvahs. In fact, the uh, the expression ha-holech le-divan mitzvah, you're going on your way for a mitzvah purpose, which appears a bunch of times in the, in, the, in the Talmud, we take for granted that that Dvar Mitzvah is Pidyon Shvuyim. Um, and it, it exempts you from all sorts of other activities. Now the Rambam writes of Pidyon Shvuyim, Ein lecha mitzvah gedola shvuyim, that there's no greater mitzvah than this, because after all, the, the captive is in a state of hunger and thirst and nakedness and sakonis nefashos and danger of death. And so if a person fails to fulfill this mitzvah when they have the opportunity to do so, they are in violation of a whole host of positive and negative commandments. Of lo te'ametet levavcha, don't close your heart. Lo tikpotet yadcha, don't tighten your fist. Lo tamar dam don't stand idly by while your blood, the blood of your brother is shed. And you also violate some positive commandments. Open your hand in generosity. Let your brother live with you. And love thy neighbor as thyself. So many, many psukim are quoted in the Rambam, in the Mishnah Torah. About, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. You hear me? Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. So... Uh, so many psukim are quoted that this is a, a, a high-level mitzvah. The Shulchan Aruch uh, takes it a step further, and we know that charitable funds are very special and are not to be diverted for alternative usages without the consent of, of you know, the participants involved, and even then, maybe not not permitted. But uh, when it comes to Pinin Shvuyim, if you collected uh, money for any mitzvah purpose, you can change, you can redirect the money for the purpose of redeeming a captive. Uh, even if it was forbidden based Knesset, even if you're going to build a shul, a communal institution, and this is going to go for the construction cost, still, you can redirect the monies for re- redemption of captives. So again and again and again, we find in the rabbinic writings that this is a high-level mitzvah. But, if we look in the Torah, we'll find that there's no guidance whatsoever about how we go about this mitzvah. There is no distinct mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim. It's failure to fulfill it when given the opportunity is a violation of a bunch of lot and a squandering of Aseh. But none of them is specific to Pidyon Shvuyim. And therefore, we'll look in vain to the Torah for... Um, divine guidance from above about how to go about uh, um, executing the mitzvah. Uh, so let's look in the Torah. Yeah. Why don't we suggest what Avram did in uh, getting back a load in the people? Yeah. A very proactive way of getting back uh... Okay, so I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote that Pusik right now. 
So what happens in this week's parsha? Parsha's lech lecha. It says, "Vayavoha palit, vayagebe Avram ha'ivri." The refugee came and told Avram the Hebrew uh, that uh, Lot had been taken captive. What's Avram's response? Vayishma Avram ki Avram heard that his, his brother, his nephew, was taken captive. And he gathered up 318 guys and chased the, the, the enemy as far as Dan. So what happened in this story is not a nevuah, a prophecy saying to Avraham, you know, lech lecha, go, uh, go ye on to, to, to Dan and get your, get your nephew back. Rather, it was a report issued by a human being. And then the instinctive action of a kinsman to want to rescue uh, you know, a, a relative. So this is this is a human reaction to hearing unpleasant news and what can I do to help? Not that God told me to or that I have to, but I want to do it and I'll risk life and limb to do it. Then we go to Bamidbar 21. So the Kanani, King Arad, heard that the, the, the Aaron had died and he goes to war with Israel. And he takes a captive. How many captives? So the Rashi and the Mepharshim say one captive, one slave girl. So not even an indigenous Hebrew. And yet we got all flustered by this, that the, the enemy conquered one, take, took one of our captives. And what's the what's the response? So the people of Israel respond by making a neder that if that we're going to go to war, and when we go to war, if we win and we and we conquer the enemy, we will make it a cherem unto God. We're not going to benefit from the spoils of war. So again, what happened here? There was no divine instruction from above that says that you have to go to war. Why do they, why do they go to war? Because they want to. That's the human reaction. We we were attacked. We have a we have someone of ours who, we, who was lost and but is still alive and can be recovered. We're going to go and do it. So this is. Again, without uh, a specific mitzvah, divine command, rather it's the reaction that people have. Well, oh, could you call that common sense? That, that people just—that's what people did. You don't need a divine command. I mean, uh... all right, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, there, there are things that that aspects of human behavior that Judaism takes for granted. Because every decent civilization or normal civilization takes it for granted. It doesn't require uh, necessarily a specific, uh, you know, verbalized command from above. So now let's go to the Mishnah, because this is a very famous Mishnah in Gittin. And w- when we look at this Mishnah, we'll see the the complicated moral questions involved in Pidyon Shvuyim require answers in some kind of codified law. But the, the sages are left to their own devices in figuring out what those rules are going to be. Because again, uh, the Rebona Shalom didn't do us any favors in telling us how we, how we weigh v- conflicting social values and moral values. So let's look at the mission. We don't redeem captives for more than their value. They took an olam for the improvement of the world. Now, the first question is, what is the value of a human being? In the olden days, when there were slave markets, so you could say there's some sort of objective value, or maybe there's an, there's an erich value for korbanus purposes, for hektish purposes. But you know, we don't really have this anymore. What's the objective value of a human being? I don't know. Ask the, ask the, the actuaries and the insurance guys. Uh, they'll, they'll tell you how much it is. So what's this issue of tikkun olam? Well, the Gemara is uncertain 
about what the Tikkun Olam factor is in not overpaying for um, uh, for captains. We're gonna when we get to the Gemara, we'll we'll see uh, what that machlokus was. But what's the second uh, part of the Mishnah? We do not facilitate the escape of captives again because of Tikkun Olam, some sort of improvement of the world situation. However, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel disagrees and says, no, no, the reason why we don't facilitate escapes is because of the welfare of those who are already captive now, not, you know, larger concerns for the, you know, for the world, but for these particular people, we're worried about them and their fate. And so we don't uh, do a, a, a escape attempt. Okay. Yeah. The question. No. Okay. Now let's look at the Rambam. So the Rambam explains, um, Actually, let's skip the Rambam and, and, and the Bartanur for a second, and let's go to the Gemara. So the Gemara says like this, We ask a question. This business of you know improving the world situation, is it Is it because we're concerned for the public coffers being depleted by having our communal authorities pay for uh, a, a, a ransom of a captive individual that's way above their real value. Or is the issue we don't want the, the goyim, or whoever is doing this to us, to repeatedly do it? Meaning if there's an incentive to kidnap Jews because we'll, because the Jewish community will pay for them to, to have them returned, then they'll do it again and again and again and again. So th- those are the two possibilities. Either depleting the communal coffers or a concern for re- re- you know, repeat offense. Now, uh, what's the the nafgamina? What's the difference between the two scenarios? We'll see shortly. Um, now, Tashma, let's bring a proof. The Levi Bar Darga Parka Lebrate Betleser Alfe Dinrezov, that Levi Bar Darga redeemed his daughter for 13,000 gold dinars. So that must mean that you're, that you're allowed to pay for more than um, their worth. So long as it's a private citizen who's doing so, and not the community that's depleting its coffers, so this would mean that Tikkun Olam is about the Dukkha de Tzibura, not about repeat offenses by the Goyim. So Amar Abai, Abai responds, How do you know this was done with the acquiescence of the rabbis? Maybe he did it, but but the rabbis thought he was wrong to do. It. So you know, stop. That's the end of that little piece of the sugya. What what do we see here? That the the Gemara is acknowledging two concerns. One is a fear that we're going to be victimized repeatedly. And if there's an incentive for the bad guys to victimize us, they will. So we have to disincentivize it. And that would apply to any and all people, even private citizens, uh, as good Jews have to you know be devoted to the cause and if, if one of their loved ones was taken captive and there was a possibility of redemption, but it was you know, overpriced, then you have to stay your hand and not pay it, l- lest it set a bad precedent. What's the problem with that? Who's going to want to listen to that? If you had the means and you were a billionaire or a millionaire and they wanted a half a million dollars or a $20 million and you could pay it, are you going to let your, your family member uh, you know, languish in, in, in the prisons, in the dungeon, just because some rabbi made a rule about Tikkun Olam? You'd be reluctant to do that, I'm sure. And the other, so the other side of it is, uh, is uh, you know, communal, the communal coffers. The thinking is 
listen, we're a beleaguered people. The Goyim are after us all the time. They're going to do this no matter what. And we have to build a shul and a mikvah and an eruv and, and, and the yeshiva. And okay, so one, one person was taken captive. We're not going to bust the bank over one person. It's just not realistic. Don't we have the story with the Rabbi Rutenberg? Right. So the, so the Maharami Rutenberg was was held in prison and, and gave instructions not to redeem for the community to redeem him for uh, for an exorbitant price, and he stayed there for a long while. So that's an example of this coming to to, to, to pass. But the the victim himself agreeing with the policy. Usually, what is, happens is there a know, difference between a private and individual and the government, the state of Israel? The, the laws differ. So the, the the state of Israel is the same thing as the Kihilah of yesteryear. The Kihilah of yesteryear was a corporate body made up of the, lo- the you know, all the local Jews who paid into a common fund and interacted with the Gentile government, not as individuals, but through the corporate body. And, you know, Medinat Yisrael is the successor to that in, in, a, in a whole host of ways. So well, what is this even worth? It's not money. We give you the hostage. We just want a thousand dollars. So we've done that. Okay, so 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 that's where the halacha is going to fall short. What, what one of the points I'm going to try to make today is that really there are there is no halacha. That really it's a it's a free for all. And the Gemara is just giving us suggestions. And 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 rabbis 1800 years ago offered ideas, but no one was ever bound to any of these things. And that everyone did whatever they wanted because life and limb was on the line. And and and, and uh, emotions were running high, so people did what they thought was in their best interest. Isn't and, that strange? And, I mean, we have laws of war. You think this would be codified? Well, uh, laws of war are one thing, but this is law of of hostages. And 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 as you'll as we'll get through the sources, you'll see that there really are no rules. Every every rule can be massaged for a particular situation if you really want it to. Um, and and it'll happen again and again and again. So as for you know trading uh, uh, hostages for prisoners, the, the the Gemara is being written at a time when Jews holding Gentile prisoners is a is a a, a fantasy. It's, it doesn't exist. It's not real. It, the Jews are a beleaguered people at that time without their, a sovereign independent state. So it's not something that the the, the, the Talmud or even the, the post Talmudic codifiers could ever have fathomed. And therefore, in twentieth and twenty first century century times, you're left with you know politicians, generals, and even chief rabbis struggling to figure you know what is the what is the Jewish uh, suggestion for a case like this? Because law, you're not going to find a law. Suggestion, guidance, we'll try to find something. Now let's look at at, at the at Rashi. So Rashi says, we shouldn't bring the community to poverty, to impoverish the community for this person or these persons who were taken captive. O Dilma, or maybe, So the alternative is, you know, we just don't want the, um, uh, the, the issue is repeat offenses, and we don't want them to do it. Now, the nafkamina is, he has a rich father or a rich uncle or something who wants to pay for it. So in the case of Ducha de Tzibur, it would not apply, but in the case of Tikkun Olam, it would apply. Okay. Now, let's go to the next piece of the Gemara. Ein mavrich We don't do a, 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 an escape attempt. 
because of uh, concern for the world. Shemigamil says, no, no, it's because of the, the people who are taken captive right now. What's the difference between these two opinions? The lekelachad, if there's only one uh, um, a prisoner, one hostage. So what's going on here? The approach of the Tanakama, of the Chachamim, is that we're concerned about future occurrences where the hostages will be treated worse than they are now. That if, if, the, if, the, if the enemy knows that the IDF or whomever will make an attempt at rescue, then instead of keeping the hostage in a minimum security facility where they could live somewhat comfortably, let's have to put them in a straitjacket and in chains and in a, in a, in a solitary confinement and in a maximum security facility, you know, the, the, the fate of the hostage, forget release, just the day-to-day life of the hostage becomes much more difficult if the enemy thinks they have to keep them in a tightest security, which they will think if you make an escape attempt. So that's a concern for tomorrow, the day after, 10 years from now, 100 years from now. As, a, as opposed to the Takana Sashvuyin, what if there's, a, our, our only concern is what's going to happen if we make a, 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 an escape attempt and we're successful in part, but not completely. So let's say there's 100 hostages and we're able to free 50 of them. What happens to the 50 that get left behind? What would happen in, in, a, in a concentration camp under the Nazis if there was a prison, if there was a break in the fence and some people left and uh, 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 some of the crowd was, was left behind inside the camp? What would happen to those who were left behind? They'd all be executed or they'd be all be tortured horribly. So a concern for the physical well-being and life and limb of those who don't make it out is a reason not to make an escape attempt that might only be partially successful. Now, mm-hmm. in, in modern times... You, you have that, for instance, in Entebbe in 1976, what happened to the one person who was left behind? Dora Block was, was executed in the hospital. Um, so this is a, you know, a real concern. The, the, the Gemara plays out in the real world. All right. Well, question, is there a difference yeah. in Halakha, whether we have a state uh, versus, where, you know, in Europe, where we have no ability to do anything? So that's a very fascinating question, and and I I would if if I were in a in a position to you know to make rules, if I was a chief rabbi, I would be tempted to say that the existence of the state does change things because the Tikkun Olam laws really border on Mishum Eva, Dake Shalom, you know, where we're, we, we know we're a, a, a beleaguered people, it's a, an ethnic and religious minority in a hostile world, and that if we make the wrong move and offend the wrong person, they'll butcher us, as opposed to the existence of a state where even if the state is a garrison state like this, like Israel has been for 75 years with enemies on all sides, but the bottom line is it's a sovereign country that, that rules itself and has to punch back every now and then. So maybe the Tikkun Olam rules that are really bordering on Avon Daki Shalom, you know, we can we can ignore that if we think it's in our interest to ignore it. That's what I would argue, but then again, I'm not the chief rabbi, or for that matter, in a position to make rules. So to the Hasmonean, one of the kings was, uh, was captured. He foolishly walked into a trap, I think, from Twyfon. I think I'm not. I'm, so, 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 Yonatan, Yonatan Kohen Gadol, who was the successor um, to his to his brother, uh, and 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 came before um, uh, Shimon, he 
walked into a trap. He went to Lebanon and they and they just didn't let him go. And then he was a hostage and they killed him. And they demanded, uh, you know, ransom. We didn't pay it. Didn't pay. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the Gemara, so the Gemara says the nafgamina between the two opinions about concerns for future hostages being held in solitary versus the the current hostages uh, being, you know, killed if you only do a partial escape. So the answer is nafgamina is if there's only one hostage. If there's only one hostage, you make the attempt. If it's successful, he's free. There's no one else left behind. Then Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's concerns are moot, whereas the Tanakama's concerns, the Chachamim's concerns still exist because there, there could be another go-around of future hostage-taking. Okay, now... Um, the person captured is like a dead man and then acts according to that understanding. So we don't, we don't really think that. Uh, that's not the operating assumption. And, in, in the, and the, one of the reasons why it's not the operating assumption is because the hostage taking of, of long time ago was geared towards not ideological uh, uh, antipathy to, to Jews and to, to Zionism. We're talking about in Talmudic times where it was really just financial ransom. You know, you want to make money off of it. And the premise is that the, the hostage taker, Unless you aggravate him so horribly, uh, he's going to keep the hostage alive because because the hostage is worth more alive than dead. Um, that that's the premise of most of these discussions. The case of the mavrichin of don't uh, facilitate an escape is yeah because that's the one thing you could do that really annoy them and and get them to lash out and do something truly violent and 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 and, and cost a person's life. Okay, now let's go back to to the um, the Rambam and, and the Bartanura. So the Rambam and the Bartanura address this this case of Ein Mavrichin. And the question is, is the halacha like the Chachamim, or is the halacha like Shimon Gamliel? Now, who know, who wants to tell me? Who knows their, 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 their Gemara? In general, what is the principle, the klal, regarding Psak halacha in, in, involving cases of Machlokas of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? What's the rule? Who knows? The general rule is... Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, halacha kimoto. The law usually follows or always follows Shimon Gamliel when he appears as a, a as a disputant in uh, uh, Mishnaic Machlokis. So that would seem to hold true here. However, the Rambam paskins, halacha kechachomim. The law follows the chachomim. That not making escape attempts, we, we paskin about, like the sages, that our concern is for future events. Whereas Bartanura Paskins like the Shemigamliel, that our only concern is the current hostages, and therefore, if there's only one, we can make a, a an escape attempt, and it's not a problem. Okay. Which Shemigamliel is the son of Shemigamliel uh, is the son of Rabbi Gamliel the second, so the father of Rebbe, the father of Rebbe, the son of Gamliel the Yavne. Okay, now let's go to Tosfos. So Tosfos has an interesting point to make. He says like this. Uh, we're, we're, we're concerned uh, in the Gemara that um, you know you shouldn't overpay for the, for hostages because if you overpay, the goyim will make a habit of of of, of kidnapping Jews. So What about the Gemara Exubus that talks about how a husband has to pay up to ten times the value of his wife the first go round if he, she's captured as a as part of the provisions of the Ksuba. Okay, so the, the, the answer is the havik of gufo, yosemibito, that a man's wife is like his own person, ishto kegufo, that a husband and wife are like one person together, more so than a, a father is to a daughter. And therefore, 
We never, the, the law never established the rule that you personally can't pay every last dime you have to secure your freedom. So if you can pay every last dime you have in your net worth to get to get free, then you could do so for your wife as well. Now, what what does that tell you? It tells you that the, the so-called rule of not overpaying is not a hard and fast rule. We're gonna we're gonna look for and find exceptions. Uh, and th- these are logical exceptions because nobody would adhere to them otherwise. If someone had cash, you know, it was a super wealthy person, and the hostage taker says, I want your bank account, or you're dead, or I'm going to keep you here forever, what's the guy going to do? He's going to give him the bank account. You know, So a- any any suggestion that the guy should hold back because it's overpaying is going to be dismissed. Real world circumstances, people are going to do whatever they're going to do. Okay. But that goes against Mayor Rottenberg. Well, so in that case, it wasn't his money; it was communal money. But, 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 but I would say further: the Maharam wanted to preserve the principle of the integrity of the community, and he was willing to take one for the team. Not everyone is so willing. Uh, and and the last source on the page here that I, I'm going to show you is what is the willingness of the individual in captivity to take one for the team or not? And and it's an interesting discussion. Okay, now. But the Tosfus also mentions the story of Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah uh, and redeeming a young boy. Who was the young boy who was redeemed by Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah in Rome? So who was he? Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmael. Okay, so let's, let's look at the Gemara and Ksubis and the Gemara and Git. So the Gemara and Ksubis says like this. Nishbase, if a wife was taken captive, and they're asking ten times her value. The first time, you pay it. The second time, if you want to pay it, you can pay it. If you don't want to pay it, you don't have to pay it. And Shimon Gamliel says, we don't pay more than her value because of Tikkun Olam. So here, Shimon Gamliel is a tough cookie. Uh, he says, you just don't do it. The, the Tanakama is saying, you have to do it the first time, and you can do it the second time. And Shimon Gamliel says, no. Now, what, what are the competing values here? Several things. One... We don't want the Goyim to abuse us in taking hostages on a regular basis and, and us overpaying. But also, a, a, a wife has to have the, the surety that her husband has her back in case she's taken captive. Part of the reason for the Ksubas is, is to protect the woman. Protect the woman from what? From financial abuse, from all sorts of you know nefarious activities that men might engage in. But one of them also is the husband's indifference in case she's taken captive. Like, oh, I'll just well, find another wife. Case of the Cohen where... Uh... Right. So in, in that case, the halacha may be different because we can't impose upon a Kohen that which is not to his advantage. All right, but, but that's the first version of the story. But there's another version of the story. Um, so the Gemara continues in Subas and says like this, the, the implication of um, of the, the first Baraisa was that if you if they're asking for her value, you have to pay even if it's more than the price of the Kasuba. However, the second Bryce says, if they're asking 10 times the value of the Ksuba, you pay the first time. If you want to pay the second time, you can. Whereas Shemagamil says, no, if it's more than the Ksuba, you don't pay it. Only if it's worth the Ksuba, you pay it. So here, Shemagamil was offering two very important leniencies. One was don't overpay the objective price of the, of the hostage. And two, don't overpay the value of the Ksuba. So, so Shemagamil is really giving the husband um, an easy way out. He's not going to have to pay very much. Whereas the, the Tanakama is saying, no, no, overpay, pay 10 times the Ksuba, because 
rescuing the, the woman is a very important value to us. So competing values are in conflict and different Tanoim hold different opinions. Now, what about the case of, of Rishub and Hananiah? So what happened? He went to Rome and he saw there was a kid who had beautiful hair and, and, and it was a nice looking boy. And he, and he, he quotes him a Pasuk and says half the Pasuk and the kid responds to the second half of the Pasuk. And the Rishub says, I know you'll be a God will be a swell one day. Uh, and what happened? He, he paid a tremendous amount of money, Mamun Harbe, and it wasn't long before this one, this boy was a big scholar in Israel. And who was the scholar? Lishmal ben Alisha. So how was this allowed? How could he overpay for a 12-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy? So let's let's now look at the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch will show us that whenever we have someone violating the rules, that sets a precedent for an exception to the rule. Okay? So Shulchan Aruch. Don't overpay for hostages because of Tikkun Olam. Because we don't want the, the Goyim to make extra effort to, to, uh, to capture Jews. A person can redeem himself for any amount he wants. And even for a, and for a scholar, even someone who's not yet a scholar, but he's just a Tamil Kharif. And one day he could be an Adam Gadol. He has potential. He's like a first round draft pick. Okay? Podim you can pay a lot of money for it. And as for Ishto, whether whether the wife is considered like a like a person's self or not, it's a question that appears in the tour. All right, so the bottom line is in the Shulchan Aruch, what happened? We created a whole lot of exceptions. I can overpay for myself. I can overpay for my wife. I can overpay for Tamar Chacham. I can even overpay for a first-round draft pick Tamar Chacham. It was going to be a Tamar Chacham one day. So that's a lot of exceptions. All right, now, we learned, I gave a shear to you guys, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, about another topic where my point was in the shear that um, there's a rule and nobody follows this rule. Because whenever you really want to break it, you'll go ahead and break it. And what, was the, what was that topic? Remember? The topic was Chomesh Litztaka, giving 20% charity. Remember we learned about that the maximum charity is 20%? And, and then we went through like seven or eight different scenarios where this or that, uh, Rishon or Acharon or, or even Gaonim, basically said, yeah, but the rule doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply here. And we, we, we crafted however many excuses we wanted because nobody liked the rule. The, yes, the rule had a, had, a, had a Tikkun Olam purpose. We don't want you to become impoverished and therefore, be, and then subsequently be relying upon charity when you used to be a giver. But if you really wanted to give, we'll come up with a reason why you could give. The same thing is happening here. Life and death, you have a, a loved one who's in the hands of a brutal people, you want to get them out. And the rules the rules are not going to get in your way. Then, we don't do any prison breaks because of Tikkun Olam. So how did the Shulchan Aruch Paskin and the Machlokas of, of the Chachamim versus Shimon Ben Gamliel? Because it was a Machlokas we shown him, how does he Paskin? So he says, the reason why no prison breaks we don't want the, the Goyim to increase the level of, of security, of the severity of, of the way in which the prisoners are being held. So the Gura explains that, that the Shulchan Aruch, the, the, the Machaber, as following the Tanakam, meaning our concern is not that there will be vengeful killings of the remaining prisoners if you if you have if you success, successfully break out a few but not all rather the concern is the security and the tightness of the security for whether current prisoners or future prisoners so he paskins tanakama now let's go to the last piece of the puzzle is revenge yeah. warranted is it allowed to work? Let's say they take a prisoner. Uh, 
they're not gonna they're not gonna get her back. You're threatened, they're gonna kill a thousand of you if you don't give her back. In fact, yeah. we, I mean any number. And they don't give her back. So 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 the que- the question of whether or not the executing of uh, enemy uh, enemy prisoners as a so, so the, the the question of whether or not you're allowed to execute enemy prisoners for the sake of the potential return of one of our prisoners in their hands is a question that is going to be decided almost certainly not by some technical detail of the law. It's going to be decided by the sentiment of the people and especially of the decision makers. Because we did that in mandatory Palestine. The British took our boys. Yeah. We hang them. We took Brits and hung them. And then they stopped. Right, so, so, they so, stopped. so what I'm saying is it's, it's never going to be that uh, the deciding factor is what's written in the books. It's going to be what the feeling is on the ground. And at the time, the feeling on the ground actually was not so in favor of what the Irgun did. I mean, I think the chief rabbis later condemned it. And certainly the Haganah condemned it. Uh, and it turned out one of those British guys was actually half Jewish. Uh, they didn't know that at the time, but it, it was. The British, the British decided that they're not going to do it again. Right. So, so the efficacy of the tactic. So, Bruce, the efficacy of the tactic is one thing. The moral squeamishness with which people uh, confront it is another. Um, they're, they're not the same thing. It might work, oh, but it still might not be something people can, can stomach. There's no halacha in play, so uh, you know you're leaving it up to just people's, uh, people's uh, I don't know, their ideas. I mean, there is, you're saying there's yeah. no there's no clear halacha here. No, I don't think so. Now let's let's look at the last piece. So ain mavrichin, no prison breaks. Ain b'shuvas chavas yoyer. Okay. So what ha- so the halacha is addressing, or the Mishnah is addressing the community, the, the military, the government, institutions that have the ability to uh, uh, engage in an operation that will rescue people or, or engage in diplomacy that might rescue people. But what about the people who are themselves incarcerated? What are their responsibilities to, towards themselves and towards each other? So what, what the Chavaz Yor is saying, and the Fiske Chuvah is quoting him, is that the concern about the Shvuyim of don't do a partial prison break because then the, the, the bad guys will, will, will butcher all those who remain behind, that's only affecting the policymakers back in the capital city, in the, in the, in the halls of government. But for the fellow prisoners, it doesn't hold true. That if you can escape, go escape. And as for what's going to happen to your, your brethren who are left behind, if you happen to escape, don't worry about it. And there's not even Aminas HaChasidus to worry about it. Now, it's one thing for the Chavaz to say that when he's writing his forum at a desk in Europe somewhere. If, if he was a fellow prisoner who, 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 who spent a few years with, with, his, with his comrades in the, in the dungeon, under the Viet Cong or whomever, he might have said something different because, you know, if you knew that your your departure was going to result in the death of your fellow, maybe you'd be reluctant to do it. I don't know. You know, everybody makes their own calculations in time of crisis. But th- this is what the, the, the Chavaz Yor is saying is that don't worry about it. Go ahead and save yourself. OK, so I, I bring I brought that last piece just to show you that, you know, it's a free for all. 
a, a, a lot of times we're, we're we're trying to justify actions that we like that we want to undertake simply because we want to undertake them. Okay, questions. Yeah, what is driving the midrash to say that Avram Avinu went to rescue Lot with Eliezer? I mean, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Then, yeah. Yeah. So, so why make up this natural possibility when the other one is much more reasonable? Okay, so the, I believe the answer is that the midrash is interested in portraying Avraham as this not only heroic figure but uh, impressive warlord far beyond uh, you know, anybody else's abilities. And it's not just Avraham, it's the family of the patriarchs. You know, it's that uh, Shimon and Levi can kill off a whole city and that uh, Yehuda could have wiped out Paro and Sosnes Panach. The martial abilities of the Avos and the Shvatim are, are depicted as being beyond compare. Why? Number one, it makes our people feel good. When we're living in third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth century, you know, Galus, uh, or even in Eretz Yisrael, but we're we're a, we're a, a a people that is being spit on and 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 and, and mocked, and we're we're weak. We have no military strength, and we're beholden to to you know to the enemy to, to treat us halfway decently. So it's nice to hear about how in the olden days our ancestors were these you know big heroes and uh, uh, could beat up anybody. Likewise, the Ramban doesn't mind saying when he thinks Avram made a mistake. So here we have Avram returns the people to this despotic uh, leader. Supposedly, it's an awful place still. I mean, right. God's going to wipe it out. Why, why would Avram do that? Why return the people? Why not just let give the people, like, do what you want to do? It sounds like he gives them back to be hostages of this king. It doesn't sound like it's, a, it's an interesting. It's an interesting question. Listen, Avraham's approach towards the people of Sodom has troubled me for years. If you compare uh, Noah, Avraham, and Yonah, think about those those three characters: Noah, Avraham, and Yonah, with regard to to you know evil people, evil in the world. Noah is somewhat criticized by by the rabbinic tradition for not attempting to. Uh, to save the people, like you know, Avraham davened for the people of Sodom and Parshas Vayera. Well, Noah didn't daven for the people, and it sounds like Noah didn't even try to impress upon them to do tshuva. I mean, you could say building the ark for 120 years, it, maybe he did try to impress upon them, but it's not explicit in the text. So Noah does nothing; he just lives. He just, you know, minimalistically lives. And Avraham tries to spare, uh, does spare the people from 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 their uh, captivity in the battle of the four and five kings, and then prays for them to live, although it's ineffective, and they ultimately die at the hands of God. Yonah uh, is coerced into asking people to repent, and is sort of embittered by the fact that they did. So, you know, who, what's good and what's what's not good? Are we supposed to just be indifferent to the fate of, of, of Rishus and let God handle it? Are we supposed to try to save these people as, a, you know, fellow human beings? But even if they remain evil, are we supposed to try to save them only if they, if they become good? Or are we supposed to wish their doom? I don't know. You there's tell also, me. <laughs> there's also many stories in Tanakh. I mean, one comes to mind, uh, David, and I believe yeah. them by prisoners of war. He kills. Well, he kills two thirds of yeah. Two thirds and sends another home to pass the message on to the king, which sort of ended the war. Yeah, yeah. So we have stories like that. How we treat prisoners of war? I am. I assume. Other side did the same thing. When David's family is put there, we never hear from them again. That's I mean, right. You know, when somebody's Shaul, 
Well, the, the, the real the real question is this: should should Jewish people and the, the religion of Judaism be looking to um, to bend the, the the moral arc of the universe in the proper direction or not? If not, then you know the brutality of the other side will be measured will be equal by our brutality, the biblical style, and if if the world has changed and certain things are considered taboo, then they better be taboo for us as well. But if we, in more recent times, if face you know, a, a brutal enemy where there are no taboos, then we got to go back to no taboos. Yeah, we're supposed to be a wise and discerning people. No one says a super yeah. righteous moral people beyond everyone else. In fact, it looks very foolish. Well, no, no, no. So there, are, there are areas of, of halakha and in the Gemara where we do find that we can't let the goyim be holier than we are. In other words, if they have a, a moral standard that may be beyond what the halakha requires of us, but it'll make us look, you know, uh, you know, very profane and mundane and, and unholy, if we don't at least copy their ways, then we have to copy their ways. The goyim can't be better than we are. Um, but, but I mean, what does better mean? I mean, it, it, a country that can de permanently deter violence on their yeah. borders is considered a wise and smart people. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Brutality may have its place based on your neighborhood. Yeah, of course. I mean, I drove an ice cream truck in the Bronx. <laughs> Wait, can I can I jump in and yeah. just ask jump a technical in. technical question? Yes. Uh, Usually, in the case of Tikkun Olam, it's learned that it's a Tikkun Olam against uh, something which is the right. And there's a question of, you know, how the Tikkun Olam could actually overrule the, the right. But in this right. case, it seems to me the way you're presenting it, that the, the right is that Hashem's will is that we should, in fact, do everything we can to uh, free the hostages. Then come along comes along a tikkun olam. But if we do that in our generation, then this and this would happen. But the yeah. if we go back to what Hashem's will is that everybody recognizes before the tikkun olam, it's to save the hostages no matter what. Correct. That would be Correct. to define the the right to here. It would be Hashem's will is to to free the hostages no matter what. No, Olam then would say, but in certain cases, it's not working for the benefit of Am Yisrael, and certainly Hashem would want that, and therefore do this and this. But the original okay. will of Hashem is to really go all out and save the hostage. I, I think your 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 description is accurate. Yes, accurate. Okay. Yeah, so that's meaning if you're going to overpay and bankrupt a society, which and encourage them to continue taking hostages, then one should not do everything you can. Okay, but I, I but we we have to be defined the original will of Hashem as understood by the Chachamim, and then use the Tikkun Olam to make uh, corrections uh, to it uh, without overruling Hashem's will. That's a very that that's a always a difficult issue in any Tikkun Olam. What about a case where the Jew uh, violates the laws in the United States, found guilty, and now he's a captive, such yeah. as, um, you know, in the agro-processor case, or yeah. um, Jonathan Pollard? I mean, 
they're they're not going to be killed necessarily, except maybe in Pollard's case because he had a life sentence plus. But certainly, um, is there a, is there a responsibility on the community to uh, free someone who violated? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a good question. So I, 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 the the answer the answer is this: in the the twentieth century, actually even dating back to the nineteenth century in Russia, but let's focus on twentieth century United States. There have been uh, chuvas written in which it is made clear that incarceration by a reasonable government for uh, violations of the law, where it's apparent that the law was violated and due process wasn't uh, infringed upon, and this guy really... Penalties were clearly anti-Semitic. They were targeted a much worse sentence than anyone else in the same category. Oh, but let, let me just finish what I'm saying. So the the the, the, the have, have have made clear that there's no responsibility of the community to engage in pidyon shvuyim when someone's punishment was was merited and 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 it had no bearing on Jewish society. It's just one person who happens to be a Jew, you know, our kinsman, but behave badly. He'll go to the huskal for a while. We have we have no trias to, to to rescue that person. The only responsibility is where the where the the, the the premise in that case is they were they were treated badly because of their religious identity. Um, but Pollard's Israeli government. Well, let's put aside Pollard because it's a touch it's a touchy subject. But let, let's let's you know. Yeah, other, but other Pollard, cases, Pollard was basically sentenced to death in that sense because he had a life sentence without parole. Well, what ultimately happened in his case was life sentence without parole means thirty years, and he got thirty years, and it was really no. It's, so it, 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 at the time it was sentenced, it didn't. That was a change in the law. But in the nineteen nineties, it was changed. Right, it's true. So okay. was Esther the, was was Esther also considered considered a captive in this sense because she was taken by Achashverosh? And did the community have a responsibility for getting her free? Well, let, let's not talk about Pollard. Let's talk about another case, the, the, to the agro-processors case. So what's the problem with that case? The real problem with that case was people tend to be, I'm not, I'm not just blaming Jews, I'm blaming all people of all ethnic groups. People tend to be blinded by their ties of kinship to the actual behavior in question. And too many people became apologists for a behavior in that case that was really egregious. Uh, whereas if you were not of our faith and not of our national tribe, you never would have thought that way. So people deliberately blinded themselves and turned the guy who, who went to jail for crimes into some sort of a hero. Now, that, was there a responsibility? The have, when a Jewish prisoners are taken, we only yeah. care about them because they're Jewish. Understood, but but the 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 concern uh, for pigeon shvuyim purposes is whether or not this person has been mistreated by a system on account of you know what their religious affiliation is, and if it happens, then we have we have to act. But if not, then you got to live with it. Act doing what? What was that? How are we supposed to act? By advocacy and the like. I mean, they're they're. 
listen, when, when the Rosenbergs were executed, people thought it was because they were Jewish. Whether it was or wasn't, listen, there was a Jewish judge, a Jewish prosecutor, a Jewish defense attorney, and a Jewish uh, defendant. Everybody was Jewish. Uh, but but I'll remember, George, George Floyd got killed. The entire America was turned upside down. Entire America. Uh, when Jews yeah, get yeah. killed, maybe some Jewish lawyer steps up. And maybe some money is raised. And that's about it. That's about it. Well, it shouldn't happen again. Shouldn't happen again. All right, gentlemen, I got to run. But uh, may you uh, may all stay safe. And I'll see you see you guys soon. Everybody be well. Shalom okay, Yisrael. Thank, all right. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.